0: The question had stumped the pioneering ethologist Nico Tinbergen half a century ago, so he devised some fascinating experiments, at least once you get past the gruesomeness
1: of what scientists sometimes do in their research. So he then plucked the beak off from the mother seagull, so to speak, <laughs> and waved the beak in front of the chick and the chick still begs for food. And he said, well, that's kind of stupid. Why is the chick begging for food from this, this old scientist holding a beak in front of the chick? So the, the answer is not being stupid at all because the goal of vision is to get away with as little computation as possible to solve the problem on hand. And in the case of the chick, what it's doing is taking a shortcut. It's saying the only time I'm going to see a long thing with a red spot on it is when I see mom.
0: So basically, if you if you give a, a big enough splash of color, that's going to attract attention.
1: That, that brings me to my point about abstract art. What Timbergen found, the guy who discovered this, you don't even need a beak. You can take a stick, a yellow stick with a red spot and wave it. The chick will beg for food. But... What he then found was the amazing thing. If you take a long, thin stick with three red stripes, the chick goes berserk, even though it doesn't resemble a beak. What's happening here is the chick's visual system has neurons to detect beaks optimally. So then the the, the long stick hyperactivates these neurons. So the neurons are shouting at the top of their voice and sending signals to the emotional centers in the chick's brain, saying, wow, what a sexy beak. (laughs) Perk up, right? So the chick gets mesmerized and prefers the stick with the three red stripes to a real beak. Now, what's this got to do with abstract art? Well, what I'm arguing is, if seagulls had an art gallery, they would hang this long stick with the three red stripes, they would worship it, pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for it, and call it a Picasso, call it a great (laughs) work of art. And that's what we're all doing when you're looking at semi-abstract art. You're titillating these neural circuits in the brain, form-detecting or color-detecting circuits in the brain, I think what that clever artist is doing is creating the equivalent for your brain of the stick with the three red stripes for the chick's brain. Okay, we're trying to
0: determine if a few universal laws of aesthetics actually cut across all cultures, all historical periods. That's the fundamental premise of neuroaesthetics. So let's jump from Ramachandran's baby seagulls To Vienna, around 1900, a city that had a remarkable artistic and scientific flourishing, where Freud launched his revolutionary ideas about the unconscious, where Schoenberg developed his atonal music, and abstract expressionists created a new kind of art. This period fascinates the Nobel Prize-winning neuroscientist Eric Kandel. In his book The Age of Insight, Kandel sets out to uncover the secrets of the three great painters of abstract expressionism, Gustav Klimt, Oskar Kokoschka, and Egon Schiele.
2: They actually made the point that the purpose of art is not to convey beauty, but to convey truth. And what you see in Klimt as a transitional figure, but Kokoschka and Schiele are full-blown expressionists, they introduce this dramatic art form with a conscious attempt to depict unconscious mental processes. So how did they do it? How did these great
0: Viennese painters tap into the roiling inner psyches of turn-of-the-century Vienna, to render it so memorably on the canvas. Eric Handel says neuroscience can help us explain the mystery.
2: I am a reductionist in my science. A common strategy in science is to take a fascinating, complex problem, select a simple example, and I've tried to do that here. I focus just on portraiture, because we know a great deal about how faces are represented in the brain, and on only three artists that make up the Vienna modernists. It turns out
0: the brain has its own neural circuitry for looking at faces, not only so we can recognize other people, but also so we have some sense of what they're thinking and feeling. It's what scientists call theory of mind, the capacity to get inside the heads of other people.
2: First of all, we know there's an area in the brain called the inferior temporal cortex that specializes in faces. How do we know that? If you have a lesion in that area, you're face blind. If you look in that area... If you do an imaging experiment on a monkey and you show that monkey a picture of a monkey, there are six patches of cells that light up. In each one of those patches, 95% respond only to faces. They not only respond to the picture of the monkey, but they respond even more dramatically if you make a cartoon. Now, that's the first suggestion of expressionism. A cartoon is an exaggeration. It's a distortion of the picture. And what Klimt, Schilling, and Kokoschka found out is if you distort, people respond more powerfully. And then they actually experimented with it. They moved the eyes further apart. They moved the eyes closer together. They made even more of a caricature out of it, and the cells went wild.
0: Well, you know, there's going to be a reaction that a lot of people have to what you're saying. Don't try to reduce art to neurons and brain chemistry.